Have you ever sat down and thought that you were supposed to start a podcast? Have you ever wondered how you're going to do that and how that will work? Anchor.fm is the link where this podcast is recorded. It is so helpful, so easy to do. Now, come on, people. If I can do it, y'all can do it. I'm telling you what. So (laughs) go to anchor.fm, start your podcast, and follow what God is calling you to do. Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app. Hey guys, welcome to season 10 of the Anchor by the Sword podcast. Thank you so much for joining me each and every week to hear the stories of the person being interviewed. I'm so grateful to each and every one of you who listen, who share, and who just keep this podcast going. So God bless you. Thank you so much and enjoy today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of the Anchor by the Sword podcast. I'm excited today to introduce you guys to a new friend. This is Melissa Johnson. She had a book come out last month called Soul Deep Beauty, and we will get into more about her book. But right now, let's talk about her life. So thank you so much, Melissa, for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Gina. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Can you tell my listeners more about yourself? Yes. So we were just talking about how we're fellow Midwesterners. Mm -hmm. I am from Minnesota. And so I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist here. And I'm also a certified spiritual director and I'm not currently seeing directees, but I do integrate like faith and spirituality for those um, who are wanting that in, mm-hmm. um, in therapy. Of course, I never would, you know, force that on anyone or anything like <laughs> that. But um, also I host a podcast called Impossible Beauty, which is all about redefining beauty as the life of God at work in us and among us. Uh, I'm an adjunct professor or adjunct instructor, I should say, at um, Bethel University here in St. Paul as well, teaching in a class on soul well-being. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and I'm a new author, as you mentioned. So my book just came out um, a couple of weeks ago. It's called Soul Deep Beauty, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawless. And that journey uh, was an unexpected one. Kind of what came with the book is about is my journey with an eating disorder that wasn't diagnosed till um later in life than I think that sometimes our culture has these stereotypes about around, um, you know, maybe adolescents, Caucasian adolescents having eating disorders. But for me, it was, um, you know, began years ago, but, um, my, my journey around really diving in and looking at healing that didn't happen until I was, um, like in my late twenties or, uh, and then actually entering intensive eating disorder treatment at age 31. And so, mm-hmm. um, that is another, the, the blog and podcast came out of that as well as, as the book. That is so great. Thank you so much for speaking out on this. Let's dive deeper into your story. Yeah, yeah. So so for me, I mean, you know, since the book is centered around kind of my own recovery journey, I can dive a little bit deeper on on that aspect. So mm-hmm. um I was, you know, it's almost been a decade now. I think we're about like eight years out. Mm-hmm maybe nine years, but I was working uh, as a marriage and family therapist. And I was also seeing my own therapist at the time. And, you know, for a while she was telling me that 
my relationship with food and exercise were, you know, unhelpful, perhaps a bit obsessive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And quite honestly, I felt that I was just trying to follow the rules of the culture and I'm a people pleaser. And Mm -hmm. um, at this point, a recovering perfectionist. Um, But I felt like, you know, the diet cult, the rules of diet culture, basically, you know, eating less, exercising more, those were um, the quote, right things to do. And so Mm -hmm. I was really trying to follow those rules. And my therapist was telling me like, you know what, I think this has gotten to the point where it's um, unhelpful to the point of calling it an eating disorder. And that was Mm -hmm. uh, unsettling and surprising to me. And Mm -hmm. uh, long story short, I ended up having to pause my work as a therapist and do some intensive work around my eating disorder at the time. And um, what I began to see and what was especially like alarming. I mean, the whole thing, there were a lot of alarming parts, but um, what really stood out to me is a lot of the things that were being believed and identified as like symptoms and unhelpful thoughts and behaviors in um, the therapy rooms were also a lot of the the beliefs and ideas that were out in pop- popular culture. And a lot of mm-hmm. my peers and my friends and, you know, commercials were, were touting these same ideas. And mm-hmm. I started to see the toxicity of Uh, of eating disorders, but more than that, um, the toxicity of our culture when -hmm. it comes to these ideas of beauty and body image. And so on the other side of, of treatment, I realized I couldn't not say something Mm -hmm. like, I I think I had realized probably pre-treatment, like, yeah, those things are probably not so helpful. These Mm -hmm. flawless beauty ideals, but like, what is it really hurting? But I started Mm -hmm. to see like the soul deep impact of those ideas and these beliefs that we have around beauty and body image to the point that I, I, I had to speak out and, Um, what, what I also was doing, I I was, um, also pursuing a degree in spiritual formation simultaneously in, um, while I was in treatment and my ideas around like authentic beauty, which I'm Mm -hmm. defining as the life of God at work in us and among us, Mm -hmm. like that just started to expand. And I was reading about the Christian mystics and their interactions with God and their, um, they're writing about the love of God and just how vibrant and dynamic it was. And Mm -hmm. just this whole dimension of God's love and beauty was open to me in a new way. And I started to see that beauty and compare and contrast it with the beauty quote that we put in a box culturally. And Mm -hmm. I just saw how cultural beauty really depleted us of life and was depleting me of life. Whereas Mm -hmm. this new definition of beauty, the life of God at work in us and among us really expands our, um, our ability, ability to thrive and also connect Mm -hmm. with other people, with ourselves and with God. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, I, like I told you prior to this, I've also had a little bit of a journey. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had eating issues forever. Mm -hmm. Um, just, and it's, you know, I've never been diagnosed with a technical eating disorder, but I'm sure, you know, if you look at some of the disorders, it would fit. Um, but I've also had to go through like not intensive treatment, but I've had to go through therapy and deal with that. But seeing where some of my roots came from, I can see a lot with yours too. I mean, mine was, you know, younger and dealing with, um, control issues and people pleasing and recovering not, not, I'm a recovering people pleaser, not quite a perfectionist, but a recovering people pleaser. 
So I can see how all of this can intertwine together. Mm -hmm. And in your work as a therapist, how have you seen this really kind of consummate when it comes to children and Mm -hmm. young adults and even further up in age? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, like the mental health impacts of this are very significant. You know, I think it's hard to give, we have, we have a lot of statistics, but I think like causation between like rising rates of anxiety and depression among like adolescents who are using a lot of social media. Um, you know, I can't, I don't know that we can quite yet say, you know, there's causation there. We see correlation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely see, um, you know, anecdotally, uh, just the, you know, I think the, the impact of social media and this, this human, it seems like a human, um, tendency we have for comparison. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, comparing our bodies and comparing our, um, you know, our face or whatever it is to these quote, flawless images that we're seeing in media, Mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, I think for years, so I grew up in the eighties and nineties where we, you know, we had, print media and magazines. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we talk about how things were airbrushed or photoshopped and things like that, but now it's not just in print media or, um, media, but it mm-hmm. is also social media. So it's our friends and it's our own image. Like yeah. we are seeing, um, like even this, this is a newer thing that like totally blew my mind. I guess plastic surgeons are seeing people coming in wanting to look like their Instagram filters. Um, and so wow. like the, the impact of this and, you know, and the increase in, I would say how this is impacting, um, the soul. And when I talk about the soul, I'm, I, I talk a lot about shame. Um, Mm -hmm. and specifically I think about, um, Brene Brown's definition of shame and she, her definition is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love Mm -hmm. and belonging. And so as humans, I, you know, different, I think, um, thinkers have, have said this throughout, throughout, um, time, but just this idea of our deepest desire as humans is to be loved and belong and be, mm-hmm. be deeply known. And, uh, so shame goes right to the heart of that. And so I think shame as like a psychological construct, but also a, a spiritual construct as well, because it goes to this deep spiritual need we have as humans as well. And so, you know, if, if we're being inundated with images that basically are, you know, when it comes to advertising, purposefully trying to make us feel inadequate and promote shame. Um, Of course, there would be mental health impacts because we're feeling less than, and these images are coming at us at a rate that um, are really unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Um, The the documentary, The Illusionist mentioned that there was a 2015, 2016 release of this documentary. And it was estimated at that point that by 2020, we would be at the point of media saturation where we are inundated with um, 80% of our waking hours, we would be uh, exposed to some kind of media. Mm-hmm. And I recently spoke to the um, the producer, like uh, the woman who created that film. And she's thinking that we're at the point of like probably higher than 80% of our waking hours are exposed to some kind of media. And mm-hmm. again, those are often, most often fake images of right. quote, flawless beauty. So I think the impacts of this are incredibly widespread. And I mean, to your point, Gina, I'm glad that you shared that. Thank you for your authenticity and sharing that kind of about your own struggles. I I think that a lot of this is underreported in terms Mm -hmm. of, I mean, even when it comes to just disordered eating and eating disorders, Mm -hmm. because, you know, it takes um, us, first of all, recognizing it, Mm -hmm. but 
it is so normalized. Like I would not have thought I had an eating disorder until someone like blatantly told me week after week like that. This is what this is. <laughs> uh -huh. because it was so normalized. And, you know, I think people look at you like, oh, you have such willpower that you can exercise that much or not eat X, Y, and Z when really it's, it's disordered and it's mm -hmm. unhelpful. Um, but it is so like, um, glorified in our culture. And so mm -hmm. I think these things are underreported and the impact of them are, um, under, um, underestimated. And so I think, you know, when it comes to mental health and how I'm seeing it, I think we're seeing it in um, body dysmorphia, disordered eating, eating disorders, depression, anxiety. I mean, it's, um, all sorts of impacts that I think are, um, underreported and underestimated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't think of it as like, for instance, with mine, I'm so picky with food mm -hmm. and like, I don't eat certain things because of certain reasons like texture or whatever. It's kind of, it's, it's a lot of disordered eating, I guess is more mm -hmm. of what you would call it, but it's not something you think is a technical diagnosis of anything. You're just like, oh, you're picky <laughs> mm -hmm. because that's kind of what we brought up in the eighties and nineties. Like, oh, you're just a picky eater. So you don't really think that there's more to that mm. until you're sitting there going, oh, maybe there is um, mm -hmm. <laughs> until somebody tells you something repeatedly that maybe it is. Yeah, that's what happened with me, too. So I, sure. I get that. And you talked about one of the things that you did mention in your book, and I'm looking at page 126, when you're talking about, you said for years, my struggle with an eating disorder and my relationship with God had seemed like they were on two parallel tracks. So let's mm -hmm. get dive into that, why you thought that and. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think whenever, or I shouldn't say whenever, but oftentimes the idea of like um, eating disorders or body image concerns were mentioned in Christians uh, like circles. It was this idea of an idol usually came up. Mm -hmm. And so the, quite honestly, that all that did was stir up shame and, mm -hmm. um, further some of the things that were already unhelpful, like, um, yeah, just in, in terms of increasing that, that love, that feeling of shame. And, um, so for a while I realized, like, I, I didn't know what this struggle, um, how it related to my faith. Um, and so where that quote comes from is I, I kind of just kept going on down this track of, um, trying to be a quote, perfect eater and, you know, follow the cultural rules and simultaneously following, trying to follow God. And so they were like these parallel tracks, but I didn't know how they interacted or if they interacted. And I thought they probably did, but I didn't know how uh -huh. um, I, I wouldn't say that the church, I, I wasn't finding much help from, from the church in that besides saying like, you know, it's an idol and you should stop. Like, <laughs> and so, um, that and, doesn't help. <laughs> and, well, right, right. Exa yeah, exactly. Especially when they're, you know, it's a biopsychosocial um, struggle. And so there's so many right. things that go into it. Um, yeah. So exactly. It doesn't help. Um, <laughs> and so what happened then in my own, um, you know, journey in intensive treatment, like I said, I was also, I mean, and this is like, I, I still wonder like, God, how much of this did, did you like help orchestrate or I, I, I don't know. Um, because during the day I would go to, you know, intensive treatment and these mm -hmm. ideas about food and exercise were being stripped away and mm -hmm. replaced with more helpful ones. And then, and at night I would go home and do my, um, my schoolwork for, 
spiritual formation. And so I was reading about, you know, like the love of, of the mist, the mystics love for God and shame and grace was another class I had. And, um, so I had actually a pretty profound experience that I talk about in the book where I was invited to do some imaginative prayer for a class and, um, had a pretty like aha moment where Mm -hmm. I realized that like God or like Jesus had been with me and like was with me in the moment, like in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. And like, there was no sense of shame or like you're an idolater or anything like that. It was more of like, I see you, Mm -hmm. I see what, you've been trying to do, you know, I, I see your heart for trying to do it right. And it was just such a moment of compassion and being Mm -hmm. seen and empathy and, um, just envisioning the eyes of, of Jesus and just this deep compassionate gaze of being seen and known and loved. And like the sense of like, I'm in it with you and we're going to, to get through it together. And so Mm -hmm. it was a different faith experience than I had um, imagined. And that really did shift things for me mm-hmm. to see that God was in it with me and wanted me to thrive. And he saw, and I saw at that point in my journey, how cultural ideas around beauty were leading me to anything but thriving. Mm-hmm. And how have you seen him grow you and use that time? Yeah, I think, I think that that just kind of opened up new space to connect with God, I would say like through things like imaginative prayer and, um, also to maybe understand his presence in a different way. Like I now at times will just kind of, uh, you know, pause and, and envision like the reality of God's loving presence and his love, like surrounding me at all times. And Mm -hmm. like, what does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that actually mean to be like enveloped in the love of God that like is unceasing and unconditional. And so I think that has shifted my faith life in a number of ways in terms of making it, uh, more real, more personal, um, and more like down to earth in a way, I guess, like embodied. Yeah. Uh Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. And so we've touched on your book. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to kind of get a little bit more into the application Mm -hmm. of when people are reading your book or when they're, they think that they've got something going on, but they don't know like what next steps or any of that to do. What kind of things can you um, say to guide them? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a great question. You know, I think, first of all, I, I guess I would encourage people, maybe if you're like, Hey, am I maybe struggling with this? Is this, you know, something that maybe I should take a closer look at? I, I always am a huge advocate for therapy, Mm -hmm. Uh, clearly being a therapist and having it be such like a a transformational healing, uh, experience in my own life and seeing it be do the same for so many others. Mm -hmm. If you have the resources, I, I would highly encourage you to, you know, check in with a therapist and, I will also say though, that not every therapist is trained in this. And so, you know, if, if there is someone near you or it's possible to connect with someone who has, um, you know, eating disorder specialized, they're specialized in eating disorders or have some kind of training, I would, uh, highly recommend that. 
And then also another, another way, you know, this is a multidimensional disorder. And and I I will say, I think oftentimes people, I've, I've heard this a lot where people will say, you know, you know, I've had struggles with food and exercise, but I wouldn't call it an eating disorder. And I think that it's a spectrum um, you know, between disordered eating and eating disorders. And I would say if this is depleting you of life, mm-hmm. that I would encourage you to seek um, assistance and support. Because I, I also say that I think we've all been brainwashed in this way from mm-hmm. you know, diet culture and beauty culture. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's room for healing for all of us. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think therapy and also, um, you know, getting help from a, what I was going to say is getting help as well from a registered dietitian. Mm-hmm. Um, I think someone who approaches, I've found an anti-diet approach or a haze approach, health at every size approach to be really helpful mm-hmm. in terms of counter- acting some of those like diet culture messages. Um, I think another thing, and also I'll say one like helpful screening question, I think can be like, how much of your thought life is devoted to, um, thoughts about food, exercise or body image. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, 10% is it 80%, is it 90%. And, um, then perhaps asking like, could, could I have more freedom in this area? Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be one idea is to actually get some specialized help around this. Um, and then another thought is I think we can always, uh, you know, like I said, we are like being inundated with these, um, yeah. Yeah. this idea of um, media saturation. And so I think one thought is turning down the volume. And so, mm-hmm. being, you know, decreasing our, um, our exposure to media and social media, and maybe even, you know, being thoughtful about who we're following, like mm-hmm. maybe following, I, I don't follow any fitness influencers. I just don't because oftentimes mm-hmm. they're selling things and they're also selling an image. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think having a diverse feed in terms of body shapes and sizes and also, mm-hmm. um, um, ethnicities, I think just having diversity in our feeds is helpful because it's more representative of humanity and the humanity that God loves. And so, mm-hmm. um, but I, I also think, um, becoming m- more, um, thoughtful, uh, consumers of media. And so mm-hmm. there's this idea of media literacy. And so mm-hmm. learning how to, and instead of like getting caught up in the emotional matrix that persuasive ads are trying to pull us into, you usually trying to make us not feel good enough, mm-hmm. thin enough, <laughs> beautiful enough, healthy enough so that we buy a product. And so I think mm-hmm. being able to see through that matrix and, um, kind of step outside of the gravity of it, the emotional gravity and not get sucked in and just be like, Oh, I see what you're doing. You're trying to make me feel bad about my body. And, um, actually the, what's probably on the, um, you know, whatever, whatever the ad is, there's, there are probably a lot of things that have been tweaked and maybe fake. Um, Mm -hmm. and so trying, trying to view media and social media through a critical lens. Um, so we don't get, we're not as easily swept up in it. And then, Mm -hmm. I think on the other side of this, and so I think like in my book, I, you know, the first half is kind of like stripping away and showing like exposing, um, societal beauty for what it is so that we can Mm -hmm. like turn against it. And, and, and then from there though, it's like, okay, great. So we turn against societal beauty, but like, what is there then? Like, what is there for us? And then, so part two is more about this redefinition of beauty and how we step into that. And so, um, again, my redefinition of beauty is the life of God at work in us and among us. And so I think we can start turning up the volume on that and noticing like, where do I see the life of God at work? And I think, like I said, I think it's everywhere all the time. Like even the fact that like gravity is holding us right now, um, mm-hmm. that I think is like God's, 
uh, God at work in the world. And like um, the fact that like I I can see right now, like the, the miracle of being alive and um, like sight and breath and um, the love and connection we see between people. I mean, just it's everywhere. And so maybe mm-hmm. having more of our lens and our eyes and our heart tuned into that kind of beauty, um, because ultimately that is what is going to bring about thriving versus um, the disintegration that is brought about by cultural beauty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Amen to all of that. Because, yeah, let's let's look more to him than to others because mm-hmm. it's it's a rabbit hole. And like you said, when we were young, it was print and mm-hmm. TV and you know, when the e-network started and they started all these, like, who looks best here? Who's the worst dressed here? I mean, that that really didn't help anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just continued to go from there. So, yeah, refocusing on what is important and where our true beauty lies is definitely number one. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, thank you so much for um, talking about this and being so open and willing to share. I just have a couple last questions for you. Yeah. Um, the one question is what I ask everybody when they come on the podcast, what verse has helped you stay anchored through the storms, through treatment, through recovery, all of the things? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the verse that, that came to mind for that is John 10, 10. And so it's, mm-hmm the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of Jesus inviting us into this life of like thriving and wholeness, that really stood out to me that God wants me to thrive. Mm -hmm. Like, like we had mentioned earlier, like I really started to see him as an advocate Mm -hmm. with me and fighting with me for me like realizing my, my true self and also stepping into the fullness of life that, that he offers, uh, me, but also he offers all of us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And where can people find you? Yes. So thanks. <laughs> my, my, uh, my website is impossible hyphen beauty.com. Um, mm-hmm. my podcast is called impossible beauty. And, um, so you can find me on impossible beauty podcast at apple podcast, uh, stitcher, like I think most of the major ones, I'm trying to keep up with them. Um, <laughs> Spotify, I feel like they're always coming out with new platforms. Right. Um, and then on Instagram, Instagram, I'm at Johnson, um, for my personal account, but then at impossible.beauty as well. Awesome. And I will put links to all that in the show notes. Do you have any final thoughts or encouragement before we are mm. done today? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> You know, I think, I think one of the things that I, I haven't mentioned so far is how, how I do think there is an agenda, not only by advertisers and corporations, but also I would say I have seen how um, like darkness or evil would love for us to remain distracted by counting steps and calories and macros um, and the head and heart energy that that takes. But um, I I have seen the darkness and gravity of that. And I invite, continue to invite myself and remind myself of the dark gravity that that holds, but that there's something, um, a greater beauty and a life-giving gravity uh, that we are invited into and that will bring about our thriving. And so 
um, I, I definitely have seen that contrast in my experience as well. And just, uh, really would love for people to see like, and expose this, um, the darkness that's there and the, um, nefarious agenda that is, um, cultural beauty. Amen. Amen guys. So go follow Melissa, go grab yourself a copy, grab a copy for, um, someone that you think needs this mm-hmm. and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. I pray that each of you will take something from this episode, that you will be challenged, that you will be encouraged in your walk with God. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and review so that other people can find this and other people can listen to the stories of God's redemption. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.